the Hackney Podcast. It's time for showtime for the band. Uh, so get your hands together for Free Town. Raise the roof. How would I do it? Clap. Cha. Make them feel good. My name's Winston Witter. I'm a filmmaker. We're here in Dalston in Ashwin Street at Cafe Otto. The reason why we're here tonight is for a screening of a film called Legacy in the Dust, The Four Races Story, uh, which is my recent film, which is about the history of a uh, music club from 1966. That was basically around until 1999. Four Races wasn't a big club. It was only a small club, but it's a club that everybody wants to be. If you know what I mean? It's dark, you know, but not pitch black, but, but you know, dark, heavy music. I mean, when the when sound played, like the bass is, you, you got to hold your heart, you know, it's really, really heavy. And, it, you know, it's, it's really, really something to experience. My name is Newton Dunbar. I run the Forest's Club for over 33 years. I was more or less a pioneer in the club business because um, up till then there was a few clubs, not many, and um, what actually provided the weekend's entertainment was the pay parties, which was more or less sanctioned by the sound system. And I saw that there was a need to stabilize this. The Four Aces Club um, wasn't the first uh, West Indian club, but it was one of the first because there were a lot of people that come over from the West Indies and there wasn't really anywhere to go. So um, they started off as, as a small venue and uh, I think word got around when people like uh, Desmond Decker um, performed. That was when it gave the sort of venue like some sort of weight, you know, in terms of the music industry. At the time, reggae music was not being played by the general media, but because of Desmond Decker and the fact that he was number one in the British hit parade with his song The Israelite, we actually was more or less put on the map. Well, my name is Winston Reedy, former member of the band called Cimarron's. In the early days when we was a young boy and thing, um, when we just started music, that is one of the clubs to go to because all the sound system was, well, the known sound system was playing there and you want to be there. You know, you start music here about all these sound systems like Shaka, Chicken, Fat Man and all these big sounds. So you just want to get involved in that sort of thing. We were playing most, mostly um, roots music. We used to back like the artists that come up from Jamaica like Jimmy Cliff, the Pioneers, Eptones. Kind of just moved with the music at the times, you know, as like Lovers Rock kind of came together. It kind of, that club was like where they had the talent contest where they found some of the, the early Lovers Rock artists. From there, you know, it, it just carried on going until, I guess, sort of like the late 80s, when the police started to raid the club and took an interest in it, wanted to shut it down. It eventually turned into a drum and bass club. So uh, Labyrinth ended up coming here and sort of staying here for about, I think, like eight years or something like that. The bass is around your head. It is, it is literally everywhere. The building would shake, but with such clarity, it was just gut-wrenching, but crystal clear building is on Dalston Lane and um, it was originally built as a circus in 1886. In 1897 the building was converted into a variety theatre seating over 4,000 patrons. Eventually became a cinema because of the advent of you know, movies and sound and everything. 
and then eventually became a car showroom, um, which kind of went on side by side with when the club was operating. The opportunity and need rose to develop the area of Dalston. A new tube line for Hackney and urban regeneration are scheduled to coincide with the forthcoming London Olympics in 2012. Every good thing must have an end and eventually we came to the end when the building was requisitioned and we had to close. Unfortunately it's been knocked down you know, by the council at the end of it you know, and we fought a battle for like two years to try and save it. It's got this hundred and odd years of history that Hackney just got rid of just like that and so there's nothing left, there's nothing left of it except for memories. So this film is like now sort of everyone can relive the life and you know through the interviews and archive and music. This night where um, Winston's brought together, where he's screened the film for the first time, he's brought together musicians, how does this evening feel for you having all this brought together? It felt like a travel through time and for people who attended it was a journey which I'm quite privileged to have gone backwards and shown them how things were at the time and it's, it's educational and it's also sentimental. The legacy of the Four Aces Club, the Dawson Picture House and the theatre before it is part of Hackney's lost past, crumbled into the dust. You can do anything. <laughs> <laughs>I'm joined now by Bill Parry-Davies, a Dalston resident and local solicitor who was involved in the campaign to save the Dalston Theatre. Bill, do you think there was an ulterior motive by the council to get rid of these buildings? Why were they allowed to be demolished? The council said that the demolition of the buildings and redeveloping the site would regenerate Dalston. They said that Dalston would be getting a tube station. But, in fact, there was a background agenda. What had happened was that in, I think, 1997, Transport for London, or British Rail as it then was, got planning permission to reinstate the East London Line to Dalston. And that was all going ahead, and funding was approved for that in the summer of 2004. But at that time, the government was putting in its application for the Olympic bid. And the International Olympic Authority said they were concerned about transport infrastructure whether London could cope with the numbers of people. And so TfL decided that their contribution to this problem would be to have a bus station in Dalston and create Dalston as a transport hub. At the time of our campaign, all the authorities denied that it was anything to do with the Olympics at all. But we eventually made representations to the Secretary of State and she replied, she wrote in July 2006, and said that she particularly noted the proposed transport interchange will be a major transport development and an essential part of the transport improvement required for the London Olympics 2012. When the council is talking about this regeneration, they talk a lot about the improvements that the regeneration schemes are going to have on this area, and they talk a lot about the slab and the importance of the slab. 
is it going to improve the area and is the new housing going to improve the area at all? What we learnt was that the GLA required Hackney to demolish its historic buildings to release the value of the land because they were £19 million short on the cost of building the slab. And so what eventually happened was Hackney gave the slab for a peppercorn to Barrett's and the true value of, that, of the Hackney's own land was given to the LDA to meet the cost of the slab. Now, the difficulty I have with that is that the transport interchange that's going to be built on the slab is going to be a London-wide benefit. So why are people in Dalston paying £19 million? Why is Hackney paying £19 million? And what are we getting in exchange? What we're getting is approximately 550 flats, of which only 28 will be for social housing. We will have children living up to the 28th floor. The buildings will dominate the area. They've caused the loss of our historic buildings, and they're going to blight Dalston. Well, I put this point to Jules Pipe earlier this year when I saw him and asked him exactly why the Dalston Theatre had been allowed to be locked down. We owned a piece of land in Dalston, which way back in the early 90s, you know, before I was on the council, I think, it was sold to a developer that wanted to do something, you know, sort of big corrugated shed with a cinema in that would have competed with a Rio. It, it wasn't a particularly attractive option, but that was all that was anyone was interested in doing in Dalston at the time, and it was otherwise a, a derelict piece of land. Uh, the council came under some criticism for neglecting it, but the council never bought it to restore it as a theatre. It was always compulsory purchased for redevelopment. English Heritage, um, their intervention was only that they wanted a few bits of, of it photographed for history and they had no issues about it being knocked down. Also, when, you know, and I'm a great fan of the Empire, I'm a great supporter of it, but at the end of the day, it needs kind of civic support and, and so on to, to keep going. I'm not quite sure what the people at the Arts Council would have thought about another 2,000-seat theatre expecting public subsidy. I mean, it just w wouldn't have happened. So anyway, so that plan from the, the 90s, I mean, thankfully fell through. So it was an opportunity to actually do something much, much better. And it was about that time that Transport for London uh, changed hands, went to Ken Livingstone, and so they were interested in doing more than just simply bringing the tube to Dalston. They were open to covering the cutting and actually producing a, a useful piece of land. So the GLA, the London Development Agency, and the Council, Transport for London, uh, you know, all got together to see what we could do on a, on a combined site. Now, on Hackney's site, part of the site, there is 35% affordable housing. And the reason it's not greater than that is because we're getting a four-storey library and archives building out of it as well. On the TFL site, at the time that the contract went through, there was zero affordable housing because its kind of financial contribution to the project, you know, the what the private sector was making contribution to, was the creation of the slab. The slab, something like £40 million to build. It's a huge engineering project that anyone can see as they go by on a bus. Now, we were confident, and I think our confidence is, is going to bear fruit, that what was then the Housing Corporation, and now it's becoming the kind of Homes and Communities Agency, will give funds to buy out some of those properties on the TFL side, so there will be more affordable housing in the scheme overall. So overall, I, th I think it was a good result.
Hi, this is James Wilson. I'm the Hackney Podcast resident philosopher. I'm standing on Goldsmith Row, what's going to be a new development here. Now, until very recently, the billboard here used to say, in a massive piece of graffiti, live east, die young. It's recently been painted over by the property developers. It now says, fuck land developers, Hackney for the poor. Now, it's a fact that you may not know, but that if you live in Hackney, then you're on average likely to die 10 years sooner than if you live in Hampstead. There's a scandal here that we set up the NHS because everybody thinks that healthcare is important. We think that it's important to provide healthcare according to need, but we don't think enough about why it is that people get sick in the first place. And what the research demonstrates is that if you live in a place where your housing is insecure, where your job is insecure, where there's violence on the street, where there's less of a sense of community, then you will die sooner. You are more at risk of strokes, of of heart disease and of a number of other ailments. And so I think it's something as Hackney residents we need to get thinking about and get angry about and, and to think about not just the healthcare that's provided for us, but the actual health of us as citizens of Hackney and what we can do about it. Right, there's a, a boat coming towards us. So we, two boats should pass port to port. We start a bit early, me and my colleague. We usually start about 7am. We get the boat ready, do all our checks on our machinery. And then off we go, and our major duty is to make sure that the, the river is clear of rubbish. And they put it there in the rubbish there. You travel from, from a point, like Bow Wharf, down below the lock at Old Ford, you travel up to City Road, you'd clean all that and do everything and, and make sure everything's clean. Then the next day you would go from Old Ford down to Limehouse and you'd work there. And the next day you're back again, so you're up and down all the time. This is a bit of a problem we have on the river where there's shallow water and we can't get in. We usually find a way round it though. Any job that really needs doing, anything from painting to bricklaying to carpentry, towing barges, picking up rubbish, you name it, we do it. No, we're not letting him on board. Right, this is a work flat. It's fully equipped. We've got hot water, heating, toilet, and uh, it's a nice craft to work from. We're also equipped with a crane, which does help a great deal. Uh, the crane is a FASI, a FASI 45. The training on it is, is a bit basic, but it's enough to get by on. And um, it's worth our weight in gold to us when we do our work. Shopping trolleys that might be full of rubbish, uh, wheelie bins, motorbikes, scooters, prams, you name it, we're getting it out of the river. If you like to go with Colin, he's about to operate the crane. He'll show you how it works. Operate a crane. Whatever. See, leaves the technical stuff to me. So. Uh, yeah, we've got some branches that have been cut, but left overhanging the river. It could cause an obstruction, so we're about to clear it with the crane. And Colin will be operating the crane. Well, I was born in uh, Hackney Road. I've worked on BW since 1969 as a wheelkeeper at first and then when technology took over and a computer controlled it then I became general maintenance out on the riverbanks. I've worked for BW for 11 years now uh, before I was on the trawlers worked my way up to Skibber and then come back started got a job on BW and that's, that's it really. The river system has changed a great deal 20-25 years ago it was all industrial 
all the barges and the tugs have disappeared now, so it's all recreational stuff. Narrowboats, cabin cruisers, you know. That's the most important bit of machinery on it, operates the kettle. <laughs> uh, well, amongst my personal trophies are two headless bears. This happened many years ago, and um, a circus had disbanded, and the reward for the bears for their service was to be killed, beheaded, and skinned, and their carcasses were thrown in the river. I was walking down the Hartford Union doing a bit of walk control one Christmas Eve, and I found a body with no feet and no hands, and it was tied up with barbed wire and they'd thrown him over the, the top of the bridge there, so I found him in the morning. But we don't get involved with the body, we just make sure the area is clear, make sure no boat comes down, no and then, and we secure the area and call the police and they deal with it. Cormorants, mallards, swans, uh, geese, tufted ducks we've seen. Uh, you also get grebes, crested grebes. In, in the mornings, you know, if you get a winter, and it's frosty, and you, you look down the, the the canal or the river. It's beautiful, you know. You get the steam coming off the river or the canal, and and and, and that mist. It's, it's beautiful.